So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And I, I'm Nate Larkin here with my good friend, David Hampton. And David, this is a day, uh, a kind of day where it's easy for me to just freaking feel positive. Well, that's Have you been right. outside? I know oh, you've been outside. Yeah, I have. Office. Yeah, I, I'm at my office and I walked my dog at about 6.30 this morning and it was in the 50s. <sighs> and it was just cool and nice and um, beautiful downtown Franklin, you know. Uh, yeah, autumn walk. is arriving in Tennessee and uh, yeah, sure. And I it, I don't know why I am so uh, susceptible to weather effects, but, you know, on a dreary, you know, gray, rainy or cold day, I have a tendency toward depression. And on a day like today, I can just feel like I can conquer the world. Yeah. 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 It was really interesting because, um, there was a school bus that passed, uh, my dog and I this morning uh-huh. and, uh, it was, you know, sitting at a stoplight and I got a whiff of that school bus exhaust uh-huh. and with the cool air and the school bus exhaust and the kind of just time season. Yeah. It, it took me to this just real quick little flashback to grade school. You really? know, I, I just had that feeling like, um, you know, that anticipation and yeah. a little bit of anxiety, but it was just the funniest <laughs> thing because, you know, smell and, and yeah. circumstance and the smell in the air was cool and nice. Yeah. And I had this this brief picture of me standing out with my new binder and my new uh, yeah. art box and my new lunchbox and waiting yeah. on the bus. And uh, it was it was very pleasant, but it was funny. Because <laughs> I thought, wow. wow, that's way longer ago than I care to admit. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, I've actually. It's funny you mention that because I have been you know, thinking a lot in the last few. I I suppose part of what contributed to it was I got a phone. I, I got a phone call from one of my sisters a few weeks ago asking um, for my mailing address. Mm. Uh, because she said she'd been poking through an antique store and she'd found something she thought I'd like. She wouldn't tell me what it was. Uh, she just, all she would say was it was really, really old. And when it arrived, it was a yearbook. Uh, uh, oh my gosh. Lime Central School, 1974, the year I graduated. Uh, oh man. And, uh, yeah, I lost my yearbook years ago, and there it was again. And so I, I don't know. Maybe it's the confluence of fact. It's fall. 
the school buses are now, you know, running again. School, you're running into school zones when you're driving someplace. Mm-hmm. You know, the weather has turned, and uh, yeah. So I've been, for some reason, I have been thinking a lot about those early years of my life the last few days. You know, I've, I'm I'm more of a fall. Fall is a more of a new beginnings uh, thing for me than yeah. New Year's. I don't. I don't oh, really? I, yeah, I don't get into the whole January first. Oh, I'm gonna you know dive in and and make a hundred changes in my life but for some reason when summer ends like you know after labor day yeah uh, and we launch into fall fall is where my head starts to go into change how do i Uh you know some of the things i want to do differently some of the things i want to um kind of get unstuck about i have a lot more incentive for some reason in september than i do in january so i don't know what that means (laughs) yeah 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 I suppose it's not coincidental that it now that September's here, suddenly my travel schedule is ramped up. Mm-hmm. I'll be, uh, you and I will have to do this on the fly because I'm going to be on the road a lot the next month. Yeah. Um, and also, I just got through a day of business meetings, uh, having to do something. At my age, I've lost my entrepreneurial drive. I don't need, <laughs> I don't feel this, you know this need that I have to build something big and successful to be significant or to be secure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would kind of be okay with just kind of coasting from here on out, frankly, mm-hmm. uh, it, on an emotional level. But at the same time, uh, there is so much that needs to be done in order for business to continue in order for the ministry I'm involved in to grow. And now it's uh, so uh, I actually have been doing some journaling around it. How do I get myself motivated to move into the next phase, to step it up where I need to step it up? What, what activities do I need to leave behind? What new activities do I need to adopt? Where mm-hmm. do I need to sharpen my focus? Uh, and that's why I was so excited uh, when I learned about the guest you'd scheduled for today. That is because, exactly her uh, thing. Uh, yeah. I think this is, yeah. So if uh, listeners, if you're kind of in the same boat, it's kind of time for some kind of re-examination maybe of what you're doing, uh, or maybe you're feeling a little stuck. You're going to want to listen to this conversation. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And once again, David, you've gone far afield, all the way to the West Coast, up to the great Northwest to bring us uh, our guest. Would you introduce Becca Ribbing? I would be happy to, Nate. Uh, Becca Ribbing is uh, the author of The Clarity Journal. And uh, Becca has been a coach for over a decade, and uh, her mission is to help kind of break the cycles of uncertainty and struggle. Uh, She talks about being unstuck, and she goes into some great things about going deeper than self-care, about uh, being more honest with ourselves, about mindful productivity. Um, You know, are we in the right jobs for ourselves? Uh, You know, just uh, how to nurture and achieve our hopes and dreams. Um, 
and kind of get in touch with maybe some stuff we lost. So I, I uh, got the information about Becca and thought, you know, a clarity journal would be a great recovery tool. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, a, little, a little clarity could do us all uh, some good in our recovery. So Becca, welcome uh, to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely. Wow. A coach for a decade. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I started really young. I, I <laughs> uh-huh. became coach when I was 26. <laughs> really, 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 really. Yeah. Uh, is this kind of, is this kind of your, your emotional makeup? Have you always been like a helper or nurturer? Is that kind of how you grew up? You know what? It's funny. I mean, I am a helper and a nurturer, but that isn't the most strong motivation for me. My okay. motivation is that I, growing up, it used to drive me wild every time adults complained about their jobs. You know, you have, you know, when you're little, like you just have everyone talking badly about their jobs. And I remember very distinctly one time when I must have been about 10 or 11 and I was in my grandfather's old beat up car and he was picking me up from a friend's house on his way home from work. And he just spent the entire drive like talking about how much he hated his job. And I remember being like trying very gently to be like, well, let's push back about against that. Like maybe you should find another job. And he's like, you know, this 50, like I'm 10, he's yeah, yeah. 59 yeah. getting close to retirement age. And like looking at me like kid, no, like I've been in this job for 40 years. Like you just take your job, get used yeah. to it. Yeah. 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 And I think that that really made an impact. And so I'm constantly trying to get people to a better place. And um, so, yeah. And so the Clarity Journal kind of came out of that. It actually, the Clarity Journal came out of me going through a life change. You know, I had my second kid and all of a sudden things were a lot more difficult um, to manage a lot of clients and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had also had to give up a mindfulness website that I had been running. I just didn't have time. I was running a mindfulness website where I had 90 authors writing for me but wow. I wasn't making any money. And so mm-hmm. I really struggled with kind of losing that. And so I was complaining to a friend. I was doing the same thing that I don't like. <laughs> I was uh-huh. complaining to a friend and she finally stopped me and she said, Becca, you're a coach. What would you tell yourself? Mm-hmm. And it just was like this huge aha moment. I went and just wrote down all of the questions I could think of that I asked my clients to help them get unstuck. And as I was writing down my responses to them, I was getting so much more clear. And I realized just how powerful being asked the question in the first place is. Oh, isn't that true? You know that from your work in therapy, don't you, David, the power of the question? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I also know the part where you have to talk to someone else to get clarity so that you can uh, see the forest for the trees or the trees for the forest or whatever it is, because we get so enmeshed in what we would tell other people, we don't think about that for ourselves. So I I can very much relate to You can't really coach or you can't really coach yourself. You can't really be your own therapist. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Well, Becca, you talk about uh, what, the Clarity Journal. Uh, well, first of all, just tell us a little bit about it. What is the, um, you know, the kind of the breakdown of it? 
so the breakdown of it is it starts with doing an intake of all the positive things that are going on in your life. Because I think sometimes when we are struggling with that question about what to do next and what our life purpose is or whatnot, mm-hmm. it, we have a tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like we take for granted the things that are going well, and then we will find another job and a lot of times if we aren't mindful about what we actually liked in the last one yeah. or what's going well in our family life, just all like a huge intake of all the things that are going on. Um, then sometimes you'll end up getting a job where it's like, oh, this job is perfect for me, except that it requires 12 hours. And I actually just cannot do 12 hours. Like that's not going to work. So I, I think that it's to help people really get grounded in what's going on. Um, and then we just, we go in because I find that a lot of times when people are struggling with this idea of clarity, what they're really struggling with is decision-making. Um, very few people that I talk to truly have no idea what they want. Mm-hmm. Like they have some ideas or they have like a loose outline, but they just don't know like the specifics. And so the clarity journal is really to help you get more comfortable with making the decision to see your strengths, to see what's been going on under the surface. Um, One of my favorite questions in the clarity journal is who do you envy and what does that tell you about yourself? Ah. Because envy is such an interesting and deep emotion that we really don't as a society explore very often. Usually it's like, Oh, don't be envious. Like that's, that's a sin. Mm -hmm. But envy, when we envy someone, there's specific things about that person. It's not just that they're a writer or that they're great at football or whatever. It's it's a whole package usually, or it's very specific things that they've done differently than other people have, even in their industry. Mm. So I like to really get people engaging kind of outside the box. Like what have they been kind of trying to push aside that they really should be listening to. Mm, mm. Yeah. You know, this reminds me of a practice that the, the Quakers developed, and we've actually adapted it in the, in the Samson Society. I think the Quakers call it the, uh, um, a clarity meeting. We've mm. called it our clarity committee. We call it a, a clearing committee. So say a guy's got a major life decision to make. Do I take the job? Do I move? Do I marry the girl? Do I file for divorce? Whatever it is. So he gets some trusted people around um, and all they're allowed to do is ask him questions. Oh, that's all that's they're allowed to do. And it goes until he's done until he says, okay, I've got clarity and then it's over, but nobody tells him what to do. <clears throat> all they do is ask questions. Wow. Pardon me. That's a, that's a powerful thing. Um, you know, to break the crosstalk potential there and all of that. Um, Becca, do you find that with your clients that um, that you have to kind of help them explore things that they that they don't even, you know, it, I mean, you talk about being honest with yourself, that, that they don't even realize that they've abandoned about themselves? I think almost definitely. Uh, I think that a lot of times when I start talking to someone, after the first session or two, it really becomes apparent what their strengths are. And I will always try to cycle back. These are the strengths I'm seeing that you're talking about. And almost inevitably, the person will 
kind of be dumbfounded and they'll be like, wait, well, yeah, that's a strength, but it's easy. Like, isn't it easy? And, and the subtext is, isn't it easy for everybody? Like this isn't valuable because it is easy. And I think that that is one of the things that a lot of times people really just don't go deep enough within themselves to really honor and accept that this is a strength. Not everyone has the strength. Sometimes you're going to get annoyed at other people that don't have the strength. But I think that because we go to school and we start school very early and in school, we're being judged on all of these different metrics. Are we good at math? Are we good at science? Are we good at social studies? Are we good at, it's not just, are we good at reading? It's like, are we good at reading and are we good at writing? And your teachers and your parents are always like, oh, that's great about like the A in science, but you really need to get this math grade up. Like that is always what we are telling children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you really need to work on this. And sure, we all need to learn to be persistent and persevere, but by f- so quickly switching from the good thing to the thing that we need to work on, it, it makes us feel like it trains us to really focus on what we need to work on. And as adults, we really should not be taking jobs that require us to work on ourselves constantly, like work on our, our not always changing, but work on like math. If you are not good at math, please don't get an accounting job. (laughs) You know, you shouldn't be taking, you, you, I mean, you can, you can make the conscious decision that this is what you love. And even if you don't do well, even if you're not perfect at it, you really do want to grow, but it should be a conscious decision instead of just kind of going with the flow of what you had learned all along, where it's like, I'm going to focus on shoring up these weaknesses instead of focusing on these are the jobs that will minimize the need for me to use those weaknesses. Because I also find that like, if you have a job that's using more of your strengths, you're just less likely to get burnt out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Becca, how do you help somebody um, become honest enough with themselves to know what they want at all? Because I think a lot of us as adults, especially, we kind of acquiesce or, well, I made those choices early on, so I'm 40 now and I'm stuck and I'm not going to ever, you know, whatever it is. How do you, how do you get people to be honest enough with themselves to go, you know, I might have another career change in me. I might, if I really braved it. You know, I think I'm very blessed. Most of the people who seek me out are pretty much already in the space that if they are guided, they will do it. Not everybody. And, and I definitely will get anxious people or really depressed people who I will often have to very gently say, Hey, I love working with you, but if we are going to be productive, you probably should think about going to therapy because these conversations just, it naturally ends up getting into the realm of therapy. If someone doesn't have someone to talk all of that through Mm -hmm. and it's just not the place for it. Um, (laughs) I don't tell this story often, but my very first pro bono client, when I was like a baby coach, um, 
it took me about three months to figure out the reason why he couldn't hold down a job for very long was because he was a heroin addict. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I I laugh, but like we're on the positive sobriety podcast. Like there are a lot of factors that go into your career that like, Mm. I'm not necessarily qualified to, um, work on mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> shall we say yeah. um, but as i've gotten to be a more experienced coach it's been really interesting because i am sometimes a bit of a gatekeeper like i'll get people i am like the first person that oftentimes will tell people hey you might have adhd and i think you really should talk to someone about that I've had 60-year-old men cry on the phone with me after the first time they got validation from a doctor that they had ADHD and the first time they take the meds and just realize how much they'd been struggling in their career all along because of this diagnosable thing and it wasn't their fault. Um, So I think that a lot of times we miss... um, we miss these things that are going on because they're work. And it it is kind of an interesting perspective for me because I have a lot of experience seeing what trips people up. And so I think one of the things that I can do is, is to help. I, one of the things I can do to help people really be more honest with themselves is I see patterns pretty quickly and I'm pretty good at pointing out, Hey, I'm hearing this, like like another, um, very dear client. Like I, I finally pointed out that her PTSD was interacting with her, um, relationship with her boss and she had no idea. And the thing is, is when you go into, she had a therapist, but when you go into therapy, a lot of times you're talking about your relationships. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling she just had never even talked about her work with her therapist because I'm assuming a therapist would pick that up too. But it was just so, it's such a different perspective that I get because I'm really usually only talking about work and or family in terms of work. Um, Now, a lot of my clients don't have jobs or they want to start their own business and they're really trying to figure out like where they're going to go with that. So not everyone's like totally on a nine to five career path, but I don't know. I feel like this sense of clarity just pervades what we want. And yet we spend so little time really diving into it. And I think that once you actually start diving into it and getting deeper than just the perpetual question of, Oh, I don't know what I want. What do I want? What do you think I should do? Like once you get in deeper, I almost feel like that honesty starts coming naturally. If you're the person that was going to open up the book in the first place. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems to me that uh, the, the pandemic that we thought was ending and now may just have taken a deep breath and is ready for another round, uh, it introduced a huge interruption into the vocational life of so many people worldwide. And, uh, and I think uh, kind of pushed us to a point where 
we had to take a deep breath and reevaluate because we couldn't keep up the old routine. We had to stay home or we were off for a while. It's interesting to me, I'm hearing anecdotally now about how many people have so re-examined their work life during the pandemic and the time they spent at home that now they just frankly are not willing to go back to work the way it was. Uh, and whether that means redefining the terms under which they maintain their current employment or whether they start something new, it's, it seems like a lot of us, a lot of folks got kind of pushed to what turned out to be a very uh, serendipitous and helpful, you know, crisis point. Have you noticed that in, in the clients that you work with? How has the pandemic kind of played into your work as a coach? You know, I think that's really funny because when the pandemic first started, I mean, not first started, but like when the pandemic was maybe two or three months in, I was shocked at how many clients I was getting that were doing the clarity intakes and the trying to figure out what they were going to do. I was really expecting when the pandemic hit to shift to working a lot with unemployed clients and that really didn't happen. Um, I did help a few people, you know, friends of friends who really were in a bind, but for the most part, you're totally right. You know, you're stuck at home with like this, like you literally can't get away from work. Like you're, you don't have, I think that separation of work and home Mm -hmm. often really helps people differentiate and they get home, they churn on Netflix and they're done and they don't think about it. I think just the very physical presence in the same place that you're working all the time actually jarred loose a lot. I think also we don't really talk about this in the U S but we work a ton. Like our, Work-life balance really on a global scale is not great. I mean, we aren't as bad as Japan, but that's not saying a ton. Um, (laughs) I've just been reading a lot of articles recently about how like Iceland and now I think Denmark are going to experimenting with a four-day work week. And these are countries that already it was normal to leave work at four to go pick up your kids from school. And... So I think that actually a big part of it was that you're home and you don't have a commute anymore. You all of a sudden got back an hour to two hours of your day. And if you didn't have young kids, then all of a sudden you got a lot more time. Now, if you had young kids, you got even less time than you had before. And it was crazy time. But if if you've all of a sudden gotten all this time. And I think there's a reason why Denmark's the happiest place on the, one of the, I think it's the happiest place on the planet right now. Um, There's a reason why if you have more time to explore who you are, what you want, if you have more time for your hobbies, you get to bake bread. Like you get to do these things. I mean, all my knitting friends were in seventh heaven. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. We all of a sudden had more time to knit. And I think that we just really are just go, 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 go all the time as Americans that it, I mean, I'm assuming not everyone in your call is listening is American, but 
I feel like it's the same thing in England, maybe, maybe not in Australia, Uh but definitely also in Canada. I mean, people work a lot and giving yourself the space to recognize that that wasn't healthy just is life changing. Like, and even if you're in the global pandemic, unless you have clinical anxiety, like it's, it felt like a relief to so many people. Like if it wasn't triggering you, if the pandemic itself wasn't triggering you and wasn't making you crazy afraid, then the extra time you got, you were able to use in an expansive way. So I kind of feel like it's starting to filter through too, because also now we have record number of jobs out there. So it has become easier to switch to another thing as well. And a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people are forced to switch to another thing and that's been hard. So I always have a hard time when I'm talking about this because it's like, there's these massive winners and these massive losers, right? Mm -hmm. Like zoom is a massive winner. The hotel chains, massive losers. And it's hard when I'm talking about this because I really want to very much affirm that if you've had a hard time, if you've struggled with this, that is also extremely normal. And so I think it's been a really interesting time. I've seen a lot of people talk about how like they're the happiest they've ever been yeah, because they're figuring their stuff out. They're applying for jobs. They feel empowered or they get the job. And then they don't feel like they can share it with their friends because their friends got let go. Their friends are about to lose unemployment. Their friends are in this like really dark place. And I think that's also been really hard is like managing these connections. Like like as we're talking about closer to the beginning, when we're talking about like when I was talking to my friend and she was like, what would you like your coach? What would you tell yourself? We need those people to bounce off. And sometimes I feel like right now, a lot of people who I am talking to are experiencing this problem of it's not a good time to talk to a lot of the people that they had in their oh, um, yeah. uh-huh. yeah. circle yeah. of friends. So yeah. I think it's kind of this weird, interesting swirling mix of like good and bad. And it'll be really interesting to see where we end up. I live in Seattle where I mean, we have Amazon and Microsoft based here. So huge companies. And we have like, I guess, two of the like three richest guys in the world at any given mm-hmm. moment, like within like 20 miles of each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so we have these big company towns and Amazon has been very emphatic. They are going back to work. They are going back to work. And they were supposed to start last week and then Delta hit and now they're starting Mm -hmm. in like January or February. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be fascinating to me when they finally do force the issue and say, you have to be in the work in in house five days a week because they rely so heavily on talent. And it's one thing to tell like the underlings that they need to be in house five days a week if they don't feel like they have a choice. But it's another thing to do that when there are 10 million jobs open and a lot of those are tech jobs. And so I'm like, I find this whole thing an amazing social experiment and I, I can't predict yet where it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's a, a kind of a turn on the um, conversation for us, um, Becca. But one of the things I see as people get into recovery 
is they are very clear about how they feel for the first time in a long time because <laughs> they've gone around life with a lot of bubble wrap around them, you know, around their emotional side. And, um, and so they, they, they uh, have a little time in recovery and they get to a place where they go, you know, in my relationship or my marriage, when did it get to be okay for this person to speak to me this way? Or, um, you know, I, I don't know if I can stay sober and stay in this job or, you know, maybe it's this shitty marriage or you know something like that. But um, how do we help people? Because there is a part of all of that that's situational. And I do think people need to make changes in order to, uh, you know, have better emotional health and, and recovery and, and all of that. But how do we help them separate um uh, you know, in their honesty with themselves about their relationship or about their job or about their their thing that they feel like they're stuck in, that that may not be the extent of their problem. So in other words, how do we how do we keep that honesty, that self-honesty from becoming blame shifting? That is a really good question. Yeah. Um, this is so powerful because I have. I, I definitely have alcoholics in my family. And I also, my very dearest friend is in recovery. And I, I think that it's hard because when you're in recovery, a lot of times you can't see how you are contributing to the problem. Like, so if, if you're in recovery, I'm assuming you were an alcoholic or you were a drug addict and, and that too is toxic. And so I think giving people grace to recognize like working on your boundaries and yes, how you are talking to me is not okay, but also recognizing that you may have been feeding into this in ways you can't even remember. You know what I mean? Like you truly we're not sober. And so you, you, your memory is flawed about the things that went into this. Cause I mean, if your wife is talking badly to you and like snapping at you, but you spent every evening drunk for a year and weren't helping with the kids, she also has valid anger. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that while your anger about how she's responding to you right now is also valid. Like you both have valid trauma. And I think helping people really to see both sides of it, because then you can come at it from this standpoint of like, I can work on this. And if me working on this does not change the relationship, then I need to leave. But I think also in the case of a job, like, it's one thing for me to say that you should work on it with your wife. But in the case of a job, I actually probably, if I got someone that was in recovery and I felt like they were really committed to the recovery, I probably would just suggest they get another job. I feel like at a certain level, it may be easier to get the next job than it would be to change the established patterns in the existing job. Exactly. Because I, yeah. I run into this a lot with people pleasers too. Like I will work a lot with a people pleaser about like, okay, you've said yes to literally everything and now they're taking advantage of you. Like, 
we need to change this. But a lot of times it's a lot easier to just get another job. The problem I also have with saying that for people in recovery is I have run into a lot of people in recovery where they, they're like, oh my God, I need to change moment was a DUI or something. And mm-hmm. so then it's actually hard to change jobs because they are not going to pass a background check. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are reasons why they're going to need to just sit it out for two years and really work on that relationship because financially it it is going to be a harder job. It's going to be a harder job search and you don't want to put yourself in a bad position by like quit, like up and quitting. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's a very nuanced question. I think that if I was talking to someone in recovery, if I was doing it like starting with a client in recovery, I would probably dive into what are the possibilities? Like, was there a critical moment that is on your permanent rec- like court record? Mm-hmm. Or are we talking about you just had like the, the aha moment that you needed to get sober? I think that if it's made your relationship with your boss really toxic, I mean, I feel like it's 50-50. A lot of relationships with bosses are toxic toxic even without the impact of alcohol mm-hmm. or drugs mm-hmm. so you know you don't owe them anything because you you know they don't owe you anything they would fire you and they wouldn't probably even give you severance so it's it's different it depends on what relationship you're talking about if you're talking about a work relationship i'd say if you can just move on because you can start fresh like you don't, because at a certain level, it also is going to be challenging to your recovery. And I am certain that you are going to be working on those issues with family and friends too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. I am, um, you know, Becca, I, I guess I'm thinking too in my own life, I made a career change at 55. Um, after I did it, I realized I should have probably done it at 45, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, I had all this stuff thinking that kept me in there and some circumstances and situations and um, a lot of factors. But how do, you, um, how do you help people who say, you know, I'm stuck, but I'm too old? That is the hardest thing. I think that it really depends on where they are in the path because part of the problem is that if I help coach you into something completely new, you're probably going to take a pay cut at just the time that you don't want to. And so there are like real honest to God issues when I am working with people that I can't just wave a magic wand and say, Oh, that's not going to be an issue. Um, I think that I would, I would say that life is too short. (laughs) And as you're moving along this path, it really depends on at what point you have that aha moment because it, and it depends on how much of a change it is. I find that a lot of people, it really isn't this massive change. It's not, I need to go back and get my degree and become a therapist. It's usually something that doesn't require education. And in that case, you really should go for it. When it requires education, that's where it becomes a little more tricky because do I tell a 60-year-old they should go retrain for two years? (sighs) 
I have a hard time telling anyone that they should go spend $100,000 to retrain unless they are planning on working until they're 70 then. And so it really does get very nuanced and very specific to the person and exactly how old they are. Because you say, oh, I should have done it 45 instead of 55. And I'm like, I guess I get people that are 62 that ask me this question. And it just becomes more and more complicated. So I would very much encourage you, no matter what age, if you are listening to this, the best time is now. Don't be the person that like thought at 55 they should do it. And then they waited. And then at 65, they're miserable in their job. They can't retire. Mm-hmm. And it feels it feels so much worse once you get into your 60s. And I think that that's really tragic. It really, it's, those are the hardest clients for me because it hurts in a way that it doesn't hurt when I get a 30, 40 or 50 year old because they can change and move on when I, once I start getting into the sixties is just really hard because you have so much empathy and you know, it's not going to work out like as well as it would have if they had started 10, 15 years earlier. Yeah, exactly. 10 years is a long time. Let's just point that out. (laughs) The difference between 45 and 55, the difference between 55 and 65, those are long years. And I think sometimes we also discount that it's like time flies so fast. And yet those are long years. Yeah. And it is worth changing. It is worth spending two years to retrain if you're going to be happy in your job for another 15 to 20 years. It's definitely worth it. Okay. Well, the book is The Clarity Journal, and the author is Becca Ribbing. For those of our listeners who would like to get in touch with you directly and benefit from your wisdom, what's the best way for them to reach you, Becca? They can reach me on my website. My website's BeccaRibbing.com. So that's B-E-C-C-A. Ribbing is R-I-B-B-I-N-G. All right. Yeah. And the book is available on Amazon and most places you can get books, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's easiest on Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Well, that tends to be the case. <laughs> most <laughs> things are. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Becca, for taking time from your work from your family, from your busy schedule, from the promotional uh, campaign that you're on right now to talk with us. It's been, it's been a joy. Listeners stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the positive sobriety podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And I know that um, if you're like me, um, it's a challenging thing to talk about change and being honest with ourselves and what it would look like to kind of be unstuck. Because I, I find that sometimes, Nate, I hold on to things, even though I'm unhappy with them, because they're my excuse. Mm-hmm. No, they're my they're my oh, good yeah. excuse for what I'm not doing, or they're my good excuse for my unhappiness. And if I let go of that, then who am I going to be pissed off at? You oh. know, if I forgive this this person or this circumstance, then what's going to take up my the bandwidth of my anger? Because I'll just have to find some new thing to be pissed about or something. 
Um, but I loved talking to Becca about how she approaches clients that um, that might feel a little hopeless in in these things. And, you know, in recovery, we deal with that all the time. And, you know, am I always going to be like this? Is this always going to be a struggle? And then when we get into recovery and we start uh, experiencing sobriety, we we learn a whole lot about what we feel and think when we quit numbing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so the, I think the clarity journal is a great, I think it's a great tool just for anybody's, um, anybody's sobriety practice. Uh, I will be ordering my copy as soon as we wrap this up. Yeah. 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 Just, uh, just the value of the questions I'm sure is going to be worth the price of the book. Uh, I do know that when I'm in charge of asking myself the questions, I have a great ability to kind of avoid the crucial <laughs> ones, right? Yeah, I Ask the ones, the ones I, like. I know I can answer, right? <laughs> right. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting the book and sitting down and uh, and working through it and see where it takes me. We'll have yeah. to compare notes. Are you going to do the same thing, David? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely am because I'm I'm at that point where I, um, you know, I want to uh, I want to experience some change in some areas, but I'm a little reluctant and have yeah. my list of excuses, and so I think it'd be a great thing. We'll we'll uh, we'll get these and we'll journal them and then we'll compare some notes. Okay. If not on the air, then in our Wednesday breakfast. When at we least hang. at breakfast. I don't know if it's everybody else's business, what I need to work on or not. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what a great conversation. Hey, before we go, uh, remind us, will you, of our uh, sponsor. Absolutely. It's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com. And this is a um, an online therapy opportunity. Uh, you can have the same therapist. You go on and you subscribe and you can find someone that will uh, meet with you at uh, times that work for you. This is someone who can deal with uh, depression, anxiety, um, any of the things that you would go to any other any other counseling situation for you can do from the convenience of your own home and with a consistent therapist. And if that one isn't a good fit for you, you can change without any penalty. And if you go to positive, or I'm sorry, if you go to betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety, uh, you'll not only receive a discount, but we'll also get to know uh, what resources we're providing are helpful. And um, betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety for a consistent opportunity to get some at-home online counseling and therapy. All right. And uh, listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Any suggestions you have for guests, any feedback on uh, episodes that you've heard, all very valuable to us. And you can reach us as always at positive sobriety at gmail.com. Well, David, that wraps it up for this week. Uh, until next time, I'm Nate. I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer, Rex Schnelli. Music by Rex Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett. Uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 